Sorry for that delay. A little bit of tech difficulty here. We do have an amazing guest today, but he's on Zoom. So we've been juggling a little bit. So I apologize for that. But all that matters is that we're all together now. And I'm going to give you a little tease of what we're going to talk about. Um, Then I'm going to tell you about something special. And then we're going to bring in our fantastic guest. So today is going to be a deep dive into some data and into some stats. So we talk about relationships, dating, men versus women, the red pill movement. I want to know what's really going on. What does the data say? Forget about the opinions for now. What does the data say? So questions like, what do men and women really want? Questions like, do women really like the bad boys? Uh Uh-oh. We're going to find out. What is driving the hookup culture, I want to know? Is it male behavior? Is it female behavior driving that? Is the red pill right? Is the red pill wrong? Is it right on some things and wrong on other things? We're going to find out today. Why do men really pay for OnlyFans? I want to know. If the porn is free, why do they pay for the OnlyFans? That's a good one. And what do the latest gender lifestyle trends in voting say about what's going on in society at large. I have some voter trends that are fascinating um, that we're going to run by our guest. Our guest today is going to be Vincent Haranam. I'm going to intro him in just one second. But first, I want to tell you about our partner for today's show. As you all know, I am super passionate about a healthy lifestyle, super passionate about food. I'm somebody who home cooks 99% of my meals. You know, I'm always talking about if the system's going to come for you, you better be armed. And one of the way you arm arm yourself is with your immune system. Make sure you keep that strong immune system. So the food you eat is really important. But what's also important, which people don't know oftentimes, is what you cook that food in. So oftentimes people will have this super, super duper healthy food and they'll go and they'll stick it on the stove and then they've got this toxic cookware that leaches all kinds of toxic chemicals into your food. You don't even want to know what's going on there. But if it says nonstick, it is not a good sign. So what I decided to do for myself and my family was to go find some alternative. I have the answer for you today. It is called 360 Cookware. It is the only cookware that I use for myself, for my baby, for my husband, for my whole family. They make pots, they make pans, they you can bake with their bakeware. Honestly, it is unbelievable stuff. And here's the important point. It's completely non-toxic and chemical-free, and it's also made in the USA. So if you care about, you know, every time you go look at a product, you're like, oh, another product made in China, another product made here. This stuff is made right here in the US of A. It's stainless steel. It's incredibly durable. You can pass it on to future generations. It makes an incredible gift. Hey, to my husband, if you want to buy me a good gift, this is what I want. So, And it also, get this, guys, it has a lifetime guarantee. Lifetime guarantee. That is how confident they are that you are going to love their product. So if you purchase 360 cookware today, and we got holiday season coming up, so I'm just letting you know today would be a good day to do it, you get 25% off. I said that right. 25% off with the code Jedediah. All you got to do is put in my name, J-E-D-E-D-I-A-H. I know it's a tricky one. Put that code in, you get 25% off. And so I'm talking to you, fellow moms, you love to cook. Go on, get it. <laughs> if there are dads out there and you know your wife makes a mean casserole, but you want it to be made in a healthy you know, product, you go do it. Listen, people who care about health and wellness. It does you no good, no good to cook super healthy food in toxic cookware. So I'm telling you, this is where we're going to link everything up, get you in the best health of your life. 360 cookware, 25% off code Jedediah today. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. This is all I eat out of. It's amazing. 
I, I can't wait. In fact, I'm going to have to get some baking pans. I'm just going to say that. All right. Now we're going to go to our guest who is fantastic. Vincent Haranam is who we have today. He is a data scientist. He knows all about the stats, all about the data is all I'm going to say. Director of Studies in Crime Data Science at Cambridge. That's impressive. A researcher on a number of hot topics. He talks about everything. So you're going to have to go look at his research for everything that I'm not going to talk about today. But I want to dig into dating relationships. Vincent, welcome to the show. I am ecstatic to have you on here. I have so many questions. I'm hoping that you're going to bring us some answers. I see you're in a beautiful library there looking very, very educational. Just going to say that from the get-go. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Home library, you know, you got to have it. I don't think I've read half of those books. There are uh, a few were, were given to me by a friend. So. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll just pretend. Out. Listen, we're going to pretend for the sake of the show that you've read them all. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. I want to start with, on this show, we talk a lot about what men want, what women want. I opine on a lot of it. But the truth is, you know, the, I think a lot of the, the actual truth is in the stats and in that data. So I want to ask you, and I read three of your articles, I'm going to tell people as we go along where this stuff that I'm pulling is coming from, from stuff that Vincent has written. There's an article he has called All the Single Ladies that people should absolutely check out. And one of the topics that's really interesting to me there is education. So tell us what women and men really want when it comes to education. What I'm seeing is that women prefer more educated men Tell me if I'm right, I'm wrong, and what about the guys? What do they actually prefer? Oh, you're, you're absolutely correct. When it comes to preferences in terms of dating and mate selection, it, it's almost like the genders prefer the opposite thing. They, they go in sort of opposite directions. So you've begun here with education, so we can look at that specifically. So what the literature indicates is that women, on average, prefer men that have uh, more education than they do. So a lot of data from from um, speed dating websites, from from Tinder and such, indicate that a man is something like 91% more likely to be to have his profile liked by a female if he has a master's degree relative to a bachelor's degree. And it's it's the opposite for females, or excuse me, for males, where they prefer females that have a lower level of education than they do. Um, funnily enough, there there was a study that in, indicated that um, men who, who came upon women or, or were courting women that had a higher education than they did or attained a higher level of, of education were more intimidated by them. So the, the courting process was uh, not quite successful because of that. So now you're telling me about these these differences in terms of men and women with education. And I'm looking at this other quote that came from one of your articles. This is from Simping in the Sexual Marketplace that links to this. And it says, since, since the 1990s, women have outnumbered men in both college enrollment and college completion rates, reversing a trend that lasted through the 1960s and 70s Young women are also out earning young men. So if you look at the reality of what's happening, where women are more educated, but you look at then the parallel reality of what men and women actually want, are we headed for disaster here? Oh, you don't know the half of it. And the disaster is not in terms of imbalance in where in which there's not enough equally educated or equally economically successful men to match the number of, of women uh, out there that they're seeking a partner. It actually goes into crime and, and deviance as well. We can talk about that. But just on the the, the topic of, of education, education-based statistics, yeah, uh, women are going to, to college at a higher rate than men. They're graduating at a higher rate than men. They're earning postgraduate degrees at a higher rate than men. So if you look at, at statistics and, and forecasts, that is statistical forecast, looking at college enrollment in the United States, it's something like... Uh, between 2020 and 2029, there's an average yearly surplus of 2.2 million female enrollees relative to males. And in in the next decade after, so uh, 2030 to 20, 2039, 
that raise is going to increase to 2.3 million. So all told, between 2020 and 2039, there's going to be 45.1 million uh, women without a equally educated male partner. Okay, so if the more that a woman achieves when it comes to education, the less suitable mates she has to choose from, right? Because she's looking for guys that have equal to or greater education levels than she does. Then that that dating pool or mating pool is shrinking beyond belief when it comes to women. But now also think about the older career woman is who I'm thinking about because that older career woman decides to have her family later. You know, she's been a career woman through her 20s. She's more educated now than most men. The pool is small, so she's got to now deal with that, a very small pool of men, but also, on top of it all, she's competing with younger women in that space. So when we talk about the potential dangers or problems or hazards, like it or not, of waiting until you're later as a female to have that family, speak a little bit to just the statistical reality of what happens to that person. Of course, there's going to be outliers, but that person who waits as a female, late 30s, and decides, okay career I'm done for now I want to focus on my family who's she looking at that she's going to pair up with what are they like five guys <laughs> yeah well exactly that so the, the more the more education you attain that is the more degrees you you have on your belt the more money you make a year as a female the more it is that you're going to seek a partner that is that is of a higher level educationally and and um, economically so when you're at the top of your dominance hierarchy as Jordan Peterson would put it it's very difficult to find uh, a partner that that matches that level so you would have to imagine that a lot of these females are, that, that have achieved so much and worked very hard are going to come to a, a crossroads where they want a high-achieving partner, but they simply can't find one. One, because that pool of, of men that achieve that level of economic dominance and educational dominance is so small. But two, because that period of shortage of men is taken by younger women. And th- th- this, is, this is, again, the logical contrast here between male and female preferences in terms of the opposite sex is that Yes, women are looking for men that achieve quite a bit, um, economically, socially, whatever it is. But men are looking for women that are generally younger and more fertile. And and again, if if you're unfortunately if you're a woman in in your late thirties, maybe even early forties, with a a lot of degrees, it's going to be very difficult to compete in the dating market where it's it's a new eighteen year old every single day. When you talk about these realities, I have to ask. How much pushback do you get from the modern feminist community? Because this is not the talking point that they want to hear. I mean, let's just be real. The talking point that they espouse and like front and center, regardless of the data, regardless of the stats, is that don't worry, ladies, if you wait, you know, focus on your career in your 20s. If you wait, you're going to be fine. You know, freeze your eggs. It's that whole philosophy. And the reality is that many women follow that and do wind up in a tricky situation if they do want a family, if they do want children, if that's something they want, they land at 40 years old. And it's it's very challenging in many respects. And they wish that someone had told them sooner or they look back and say, maybe I would have done this differently. So when you just bring these realities to the surface in terms of just the data, not your opinion or your recommendation of what someone should do, do you get extensive pushback from the modern feminist community or the modern left or people who don't maybe want to hear that reality? Yeah. I mean, look, you're always going to get people, but I'm I'm the type of guy, I prefer just to be calmly and reasonably to people and stick to the evidence. And yes, you're going to get a bit of pushback, but ultimately a lot of these individuals are very reasonable. So after a long drawn conversation about, well, essentially the statistics and the reality of the situation, they're more inclined to understand what exactly I'm trying to say here. And again, 
these aren't my opinions. These are the right. statistics that I'm sticking with. And I'm, I'm very careful about the language that I use to ensure mm-hmm. that I'm using terms like on average, this is what the data indicates. These are not my opinions. And if I'm stating an opinion of mine, I'm going to say, in my opinion, or from my perspective, in my experience, this is what I think it is. But yeah, there is there is a bit of feedback uh, that is negative. I do get a lot of positive feedback, I will say as well, both from men and, and women. And there have been some negative emails and some uh, maybe one or two attempts at cancellation. But it is yeah. what it is, right? It's the territory that I'm, I'm in and you're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, but. I mean, he's you're just bringing the data, right? You're not giving the, this is just about don't, reality. Don't shoot the messenger, well, right? That, I'm, not, you know, I'm not trying to harm anyone here. That's the thing. People can opine. And of course, there's going to be outliers. You know, if you're that person sitting at home, I mean, I don't fit into the statistical box in many ways. Fine. I'm sure there are people who don't as well. But we have to be able to talk about the reality of what's going on. Because, you know, it, there are some red flags in terms of the decisions people make. And if they're repeatedly landing in a position that they say, well, I would have done this differently, maybe we can kind of provide that data and the next generation of women, men can make different choices if they so choose to do that. It's just information. I want to ask right. you about income um, because we talked about education when it comes to men and women. And I'm curious when it comes to women. Um, if they look at that educational status that a guy has and say a guy has the MBA, like you said, great. Say the, M- the, the MBA does better than the BA, fine, um, generally. But what about, what happens when that guy who has the lower degree or maybe doesn't have a degree at all out earns the guy with the higher degree? Does that, what matters more? How much money they make or what their degree is? It's a great question. So I, I, you have to, I think we have to keep in mind that education and economic earnings are correlated. So in general, the more educated you are, the more money you have. I think there's a study out of Amherst that says that each degree you make about $20,000 every single year on average. But but to, to answer the question very simply is that educational level with a lower income or lower income with a lower edu- level of education, I think income wins uh, you know, nine times out of 10. Because at the end of the day, if your degree is in, I don't know, philosophy and you study 18th century poetry and you're, you're a PhD in that, but you're broke and you, you can't make any money, it's very difficult to provide for a woman, right? At the end of the day, I think a lot of these ladies want to be taken care of, you know, mm-hmm. rental investment, protection, provision, that sort of thing. And a PhD in, in Russian literature is not going to cut it, Sonny. Yeah, I have a master's in Spanish <laughs> literature and it's largely useless. That's okay, but to make another point here is that if if you're a gentleman studying the trades, for example, and you're a plumber and you're an electrician, you're making what 120k a year. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. You're a you're useful. You can do things around the house, and b you're making bank. It's not a problem. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I I think that there's an increasing. I think you're going to see in some of these trends. Just my personal prediction that. There you're going to see an increasing number of people that admire those practical skills over those degrees as we see what's happening in academia. And there's a lot of people that are concerned about the wokeness there and indoctrination and all that. So different choices in the next couple of decades, I think, are going to be made by more people than ever before. I want to ask you about, on the issue of income, a couple of studies that you pointed to in your article, Simping in the Sexual Marketplace. One says a study found that marriages where the wife out-earned the husband were 50% more likely to end in divorce. That's one. Two, a study of Swedish couples reported that when the wife contributed 80% or more to total income, the divorce risk was twice as high as when she contributed less than 20%. And men who were not the primary breadwinner were more likely to use erectile dysfunction medication relative to men that were. So expand on this. And if this is in fact true, what does this say about 
men in particular and what they value in terms of themselves, what they value in terms of the money they bring home and that dynamic, that income dynamic in the home. Right. I, it's Those are a set of very interesting statistics on, again, made preferences among females. And I suppose what the overall message is, is that women are obviously looking for a man that, that makes more than them in the relationship. So the notion of, of economic earnings and who wears the pants in the relationship are, I think, correlated. And you see, obviously, it's born out in the statistics where divorce rates are higher, where the woman makes more than the man. And, you know, you would obviously think that there's there are couples where it works, right? Obviously, there are examples of that. But again, on average, it's obviously the case that economics, that is earnings, who brings home the bacon and who wears the pants in, in the relationship are, again, correlated. And women naturally would seem from these studies, I suppose the researchers don't want to, to, to point to this or indicate this. They're trying to be as scientific as possible. They're obviously looking for men who are are making more than them. And it's almost like it's very instinctive. So if you are dating someone or, or married to someone that's making less than you, you view them less. You view them as a, as lower than you if you're, if you're a female. And the opposite is the case for males. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me about this is when I was reading that, I said, oh, a whole bunch of people are going to gravitate toward the opinion of, oh, women, gold diggers, all this stuff like this. There is a segment of the population that will go there. But you throw the caveat in, which I love, which I think is absolutely true. It says the notion that most women are callous resource extractors is inaccurate. They are not necessarily after resources, but rather the primary predictors of resource acquisition, namely intelligence and hard work. So are they, the question is, are they looking for the money or are they looking for what that money represents in terms of the kind of guy that they've actually gotten? Yeah, well, women are a lot like major league scouts or or prospectors because (laughs) in some ways, you look, there's tons of broke guys out there with a lot of ambition that are going places in life that have girlfriends and wives. So a lot of these girls are gonna take an educated guess here and make a bet on these guys that he'd succeed later on in life which is how you play the game, right? Not just as a female, but but as a male as well. It, it's how you be a successful investor. It, it's it's all about hedging one's bets, right? So it, it's it, it, again, it's not that these women are gold diggers. Of course, there are, you mentioned, gold diggers out there. Right. But again, it's a matter of prospecting and, and being married to someone that you see down the line will be a good father and, uh, and a provider. So I want to ask you about who's picky in the, in the, in the sexual marketplace. And I often say that women are getting very picky in terms of what they want based on, you know, a lot of the videos we show and whatnot. What's interesting when it comes to just physical appearance, physical appearance alone, interesting study you point to, a study on Tinder. And it says, according to a study on Tinder, whereas men liked 60% of female profiles they viewed, women liked only 4.5% of male profiles. Moreover, women on average viewed 80% of men on dating apps as below average in attractiveness. One study determined that the bottom 80% of men, and just we're just talking about physical attractiveness here, are competing for the bottom 22% of women. And the top 78% of women are competing for the top 20% of men. So this supports what I'm saying. And by the way, when I say women are picky, I'm saying guys are picky too, don't get me wrong. But I'm talking on the issue of physical attractiveness. And this, anyone who lives in life will know this to be true. Women are very picky. What does that do to the selection process that they ultimately wind up being able to, to, you know, look at at the end? And how are we all not clawing at each other at the eyes, given given how picky we are? Well, look, it, 
again, the, the thing about the, these statistics is that they would indicate that there's a power law relationship or a power law distribution called a Pareto distribution, 80-20 rule. I'm sure you've heard of this. Um, mm. Just to explain for the audience, a power law distribution simply means that there's a small percentage of something that is responsible for an outsized proportion of something else. So in this case, it's a small percentage of men that are receiving the, the romantic attention from these women. That's natural. It, it wasn't always the case that it, it was like this, right? Because I think it's the advent of, of things like social media, Instagram, Tinder, that give men and women a lot of options to choose from. So the more opportunities you have, right, the, the opportunity cost that you can also weigh in your head of swiping right or swiping left on someone, it increases your level of selectivity, specifically among females who are, again, I, I would say more discerning of a man's character and his ability to be a long-term provider, a long-term, long-term prospective mate than a man is. Yeah. Because again, the desires of the man and woman are very different and, and men are very visual creatures, of course. And again, they're interested in youth and fertility. And that of course is very obvious, but you know, females are looking for more than that. So it's not just the looks and, and the way that a man carries himself. It's its ability to actually, well, produce as well. And so it, it that level of selectivity in, in the fact that you have all these set of criteria, it, it, it's a more complex model as it were. So one of the things that concerns me is the hookup culture today and it just Mm. seems like there are less and less people men and women who are interested in something real something serious promiscuity has been elevated you know sex and emotion have been disconnected for men and for women at this point and when I say that I mean young young men particularly and young women where the issue lies because then it delays adulthood as far as I'm concerned but when you look at the cult uh, the hookup culture today what do you think drives that is it male behavior is it female behavior what's blowing that up well, it's got to be both. It's got to. I I can't necessarily sit here and blame one gender for the uh, the rise in promiscuity because, again, you know, you're you're telling women, go girl, you can have as many sexual partners as you want, which ultimately plays into the hands of men who who, who are lascivious that they they want a lot of sexual partners. But I think what's what's blowing it up are reduction in social mores. So the fact that promiscuity necessarily is not viewed as as a negative thing as it did as it was in decades prior. The fact that you have a lot of social media and and well, well media itself that is very sexual in nature, so everything has been tamped down in terms of in terms of being um, modest with one's behavior and one's sexual intentions. So that would naturally mean that everyone is is more propelled in to engage in 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 a in a, um, in a hypersexualized environment. But there are there are some statistics that indicate that it's not necessarily the case for younger generations. So if you look at Generation Z, for example. They're actually less sexually uh, active than than generations Y and X and, and so forth. So it may it may be that this trend is reversing when it comes to younger generations because they're just too busy playing video games or on their phones. So wh- what about that, like being less sexually active? Because one of the things that I hear about all, a lot is a crisis among guys in particular, where there are an alarming number of guys increasingly that just aren't yeah. having sex at all. They're not in yeah. the marketplace at all. They're not engaged. Why is that? Is that true? And what do you attribute oh, yeah. it to? It, it, it's true, and it's it's higher than than the statistics would indicate. So, what you're referencing is a study that was conducted by the General Social Survey in 2018. So that was published by them, and what they said was that the rate of sexlessness uh, among men—I think it was men that turned 18 and had not had sex since they turned 18—jumped uh, from seven percent in 1989 to 28 percent in 2018. And the reason why I say that number is, is, is lower than you would think is that, A, it, what man out there is going to admit that he's a virgin? 
Mm-hmm. Very few of them, right, are right. going to actually do that. So that number is deflated. Second thing is that this is before the, the COVID. This is before the COVID-19 pandemic, which means that that rate has actually increased. I promise you, Jed, that if you flip a coin, it'll, it'll end 50-50 out there on the streets of whether or, not, whether or not a man is a virgin or not. Mm-hmm. And, well, I, I suppose the second, the second question you're asking here is what is driving that? And again, it, it is it is competitional in the sexual marketplace. Men dropping out simply because they're looked over by these by these females. When we talked about Tinder, uh, the fact that four percent of male profiles are being swiped right on by females. A second thing I I, I would say is also laziness and it, the the inability of men to actually want to be in a relationship or need to be in a relationship. The fact is, is that if you look at statistics around um, hours worked, men are are being uh, overshadowed by women in this particular category. So I think it was statistics from the United Kingdom that indicated that men had on average 43 hours of leisurely time uh, over the week, whereas females had about 38. And unemployed men spend about 520 uh, hours every year playing video games. That equates to about 21.6 days over the course of a year. That's a lot of time, man. Yeah, I talk a lot about the video games, the pornography, the sitting on the couch, the not being motivated. One thing that popped out at me from your writing was the data on young men being petrified of rejection. And, you know, I wrote a book about, uh, it was called Hashtag Do Not Disturb, about people living and hiding behind their phones and these devices. Do you think that just the modern age that we live in, with technology being what it is, that guys just aren't exercising that muscle. Like they're not used to having to go up to somebody to ask them out. Now they're sort of shielded behind this wall. It's a safe space, it's very protective, but it also doesn't build up that skill set. Is that why there's a fear of rejection or what's going on here? Because we need these men to be men. Yeah, well, I I think it's a confluence of factors, right? For for me, whenever you're looking at something like this that is very complicated, it has to be a number of very various things. It's a multivariate model. That one example that you gave of, of the cell phone, the fact that men use it to hide is is one such is one such explanation. Another explanation I would give is the fact that they're terrified of, of women. They're not they're not socialized to engage with women. Again, it may be because they, they simply spend time playing video games all the time. What are they terrified not to interrupt you, but what are they terrified sure. of, do you think? You say they're terrified. I don't want to lose that thought. Rejection. Rejection. That, that's that's the big thing here is that if you look at statistics put out by Pew Research, uh, one study indicated that 51% of men between the ages of 18 to 30 were single relative to 38% of women. And of that 51% of men that were single, 52% of them stated that the, the reason that they, they are not in a committed relationship is that they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid to actually approach a woman and ask her for her number or ask her out. It's just so interesting to me because there's been such a decline even in the last 20 years. I don't remember that being a trend. Like even when I was in college, I don't remember seeing that. I remember there were guys who were super shy, super introverted, who were afraid to approach women, but that was not the norm. This now seems to be the norm where the number the, the guys that actually are aren't afraid are typically like your bad boy types, honestly. And yeah. like everyone else is terrified. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a middle school dance, right? Terrible. You got girls on one side and guys on, on the other side. Yes. They don't ever interact. Yeah, it's it, just, it, it's very frustrating. I think we're raising a generation of men that are risk averse. And it, look, for me, for my money, the greatest risk is to take no risk at all. And look, you, you never know, you know, whether might she say she might say yes or no. But so what if she says no? If she says no, there's another there's another girl at the party or there's another opportunity elsewhere. And in, in, in my opinion, the more rejection you receive, the more experience you have, right? The, the more you can build yourself and, 
and build up a stronger backbone and really establish and understand what exactly works and doesn't work when you're approaching a woman. It's very simple. You talk a little bit about OnlyFans in some of your content, which I find really interesting. Um, and one of the quotes that that really leapt out to me, it says, OnlyFans offer something which porn does not, emotional connection. Talk to me a little bit about that because the perception oftentimes is that men aren't seeking emotional connection. That's the pushback you hear. Oh, men don't care about emotional connection. That's not important to them. I don't believe that to be true or they wouldn't be drawn to an OnlyFans dynamic. Talk to me a little bit about the difference between porn and OnlyFans and why men are drawn uh, to OnlyFans in particular. Right, so it, it goes back to that discussion we we're just having about rejection. That OnlyFans is unique because it is emotional connection without rejection. So the, the woman is there behind the screen and she's not only perhaps taking her clothes off, but asking you how your day went. So it's almost like having a girlfriend without actually having a girlfriend. And yeah, the, the notion that men don't want emotional connection in a relationship is simply not true. It's based on the studies in oxytocin and what it does to men when in a relationship, when in a family, it just contradicts this point altogether. And pornography is very different because it's, it's just a dopamine hit at the end of the day, right? You're just you're just getting off based off of, of two people having sex on on a camera. But OnlyFans is very different because it yes, it does provide that that sexualized nature, but at the same time you are getting that emotional connection with a real person that you simply do not get with pornography. And men again are afraid of rejection, so they're not going to go up to a, a woman you know that, that that they meet at a party or at a, or at a you know a coffee place. And ask her for her number to receive that emotional connection to get into a, a relationship they'd much rather get it the easy way which is only fans one of the big topics for the last several decades is the bad boy right we all want to know if women really genuinely want the bad boy now I, I think you're about to uh prove me wrong on this but let me hear what you have to say you talk about the dark gentleman the dark triad tell me what those things mean and what do women actually want based on the data Right. So that requires a bit of unpacking, but it's a great question. So the, the dark triad is a term in psychology that alludes to three characteristics that people will have. And, and um, these are Machiavellianism, psychopathy, and um, what's that other one? Gosh, Narcissism. I can't believe I'm, I'm Narcissism. Narcissism. I've got Thank your you. notes. Thank Only you. because I have your notes in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> you got me going. We'd, have tr we'd be having trouble there if I didn't remember it. <laughs> But thank God for you. You're there. Uh, yeah. So, so these are three characteristics that that are considered to be dark or dangerous. And the type of people that have these personalities are are generally criminally inclined. Maybe even CEOs. These aren't the sort of people that that you you'd want to be friends with. Yet they have they have this sort of appeal or dark appeal to them that make them very attractive to women. The reason why this is is because. When you look at the big five personality traits, they're low in conscientiousness, they're low in neuroticism, but they're very high in openness and introversion or extroversion, I should say, which means that they're very attractive because those two characteristics, openness and extroversion, attract people. These people dress nicer, they speak, they speak, they use all these nice terms, they smile more. In fact, there's there's studies to indicate that even when we look at disagreeableness, and these individuals are typically low in in, uh, in agreeableness. Men that are more disagreeable, on average, make more money than men that are higher in, in agreeableness. It's something like 18.3% higher um, over the course of a year. But just to tie that all together with a dark gentleman, it's that dark gentleman is a term that is used to knit together two very contrary sides of the coin. That is the Chad and the dad, the guy who has those dark triad characteristics, right? the, the danger that's applied uh, to these sort of individuals. But is also a provider and a protector. So it's a it's a 
it's a unity of contradictions as it were the, the woman is getting a man who who is able to provide for her and is a is a good long-term mate but is also a pretty good lay he's, he's a very sexy guy and he can you know he can kind of get the job done in the bedroom and he's very attractive to other other women as well so my theory is the way i put it simply is that women want a guy who maybe he was a bad boy in the past Maybe he could be a bad boy. If he really wanted to, he could totally, you know, have all the girls and all that. But he chooses not to. And instead, he chooses to be with her and be loyal. So you could do all that stuff and you're desirable in all those capacities, but you don't go there. Am I right? I think so. I absolutely think so. It's it's that notion of the chain beast, right? The the ability or the, the, the man, the man who has the capability to use violence, but does not use it. The man who has the ability to cheat on his woman if he wanted to, but does not do it. Mm. The man that is, that is, that makes quite a bit of money, but does not flaunt it. Right. Um, here's, here's a, a quote is that, um, the, the truest form of something does not flaunt itself. So mm-hmm. it, it emerges precisely when it means to. So real power is not flaunted. Real money is not flaunted. Real ed- intelligence is not flaunted. And so this dark triad personality mixed with the provision, the protection, you know, all those long-term characteristics which made, make a man attractive makes him that unicorn that, that ticks all those boxes. So then what do you think about, and by the way, I want to, before we get here, people subscribe, hit that subscribe button. I need you to hit that. I need you to hit your like button as well if you like this interview. And also Tyler Top G is over here. He's going to be checking the chat. I want you to get your questions. If you have questions for me, you have questions for Vincent, please ask them. We're going to get to those super chats in just a second. So you're talking, Vincent, about this idea that you don't flaunt it and that's what's appealing. You have it, but you don't flaunt it. So I ask then, what do you think of red pill? Like, do you, are they right? Are they wrong? Because there are a lot of guys in that community that do flaunt it, right? The, the fancy cars, they, they, they're very front and center, not only about their finances, but very front and center about, hey, if I want to have a bunch of girlfriends, I can, you know, my girl only has to be loyal to me, but I can have a bunch of girlfriends now. Granted, they're very transparent and honest in that respect about what they want, but there is a certain degree of flaunting that goes on. Is that appealing? Like, what do they get right in the red pill? What do they get wrong? Just un- unpack it all for me. Well, this is a long conversation, but um, <laughs> well, as with a lot of things, that you have to measure the good with the bad. So you have to be very, I, I'll try to be very, very um, honest and upfront about my views on the red pill. I am not a member of the Manosphere. I'm not, you know, an acolyte of Roland Tomasi. I know he's on your show a couple of times. Yes. But, you know, the thing about flaunting wealth is that you have to keep in mind as it pertains to the, to the fresh and fit guys and all these individuals that it, it is it is based off of their their um, their viewership. So the reason why red pill content is what it is is because this is what a lot of their viewers are tuning into. And, and these are typically men between the ages of, of 14 to 30 and, and guys in their 20s. They, they like seeing flashy stuff, right? They like seeing all the money, the girls and all that. So these guys have to really ham it up if, if they want to, to, to get those likes and, the, and that click-through rate. But I think that is the reason why a lot of the red pill is how it, how it is structurally. There are some good elements, I think, to it. So the notion of personal responsibility and, and getting one's money up, taking responsibility, I think is incredibly important. But all the, the stuff around um, embarrassing women, I mean, the, the whole Frank Castle stuff with the fresh mm-hmm. and fit guys, Again, it's just red meat. It, it, it's it's done. It's done as a means of entertaining people. It's very Jerry Springer esque. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when I hear from women, oftentimes they will say that there are things about the red pill that do appeal to them in terms of the men that populate the space, uh, the personal responsibility, like you said, own your own life, own your own choices, the idea of a guy being a protector, prioritizing, you know, financial security for the whole family. Those things do appeal to them where they get lost. And I mean, every single person, every single female that has written me is on the, you know, women sharing a man <laughs> like they don't they just they're not down <laughs> with it. Like, like they're not going to do it. I know there's these guys that feel like women are going to be down with. They're just not. So they're I want to ask you about that, though. Do you think because this is this is a talking point that I, I kind of butt heads. Um, I had Justin Waller on the other day, and you know I've I've repeatedly said that a women who live a life as a good girl, if you want to call that, are not going to be drawn to sharing men. Like if if you if she respects her body, she cares about sex, she she couples sex with emotion, she's not making an exception for you. She's not going to send you off to somebody else's bed when she's not in it. It's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. But what do you say like to the guys that say, oh no, I have women who sign up for that all the time. I mean, is this, am I wrong? Am I just hearing from the, from women that like, who's right here, me or Justin Waller on this point? Are they going to sign up for it? Right. I, I think you're right because so, so Jay Waller, again, he, he is, he is interesting as is someone like Andrew Tate because they are individuals that are powerful individuals, right? They are 1% guys, if you want to call it that, which means they have the capability to do that because they have the income to do to do so. But the average man does not have the ability to have multiple partners and still be in a stable relationship. Logistically, it doesn't make any sense, right? Take the average man out there and have him ask his wife or his long-term partner if he can go out and have a little dalliance. She's obviously going to say no. She's going to leave him. Mm-hmm. So the perspective that you're getting from Jay Waller and um, and the rest of these guys is very skewed. I, I would imagine it's just it's not it's not tenable. But the thing is, though, is that historically what they're suggesting, and I think it is a form of polygyny, that is one man pair bonded to many women, is actually the norm and not exactly the exception. Uh, monogamy is actually the exception. We can we can unpack that a bit, as, a bit as well if you'd like to. So you're saying, but even in current times, you're saying monogamy is the exception or historically? Mono- that is correct. So it, it, well, up till about, I don't know, the, the 18, it's hard, it's hard to break this down, but, but monogamy is a very modern invention if you want to think about it like that polygyny has always been been the rule so do there's a think, lot of but do you think that's because of, uh, like honest opinion do you think that's because in those societal structures women didn't have an option to like that was just the way it was and they really couldn't exercise freedom over that decision to say like i'm not going to operate in this structure or do you think that women were comfortable with that structure that's what i try to get at that's a great question. So I, I think that it, it's actually based on on comfort. So a, a lot of these evolution psychologists will say that uh, women are, are very comfortable to share a man that has a lot of resources as opposed to monopolizing a man with very little resources. Because if, if she gets with a man that ha- has a lot of resources and the average amount of resources that she gets outweighs the amount that she would get by being with an average man, then she'll take it. She'll take it. And I, I don't think that, that polygyny, at least how it's, or, or is, is it even construed today in that way as polygynies? No, but th- the point being is that there is a rise in polygyny today because of the way the sexual marketplace is structured, because of that power law distribution, where a small number of men are receiving an outsized proportion of the of the sexual attention. What do the men actually want, do you think, in modern times? Do they want, in an ideal world, to be able to exercise those options and to have, you know, the wife and then a bunch of girlfriends? Or do they want monogamy? What do they really want? 
I don't know what the hell they want. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you. I mean, do you have any know, stats on that? I don't know because they know what the hell they want. It's fascinating because you ask some men and some men will say, will sit here at this table with me and say, men absolutely would take, you know, if they could go into the corner and have sex with a hot blonde and you don't care, they're going to do it. And then I have other men that will write to me and say, you know, don't believe these guys. I wouldn't do it because it would it would affect the sanctity of the union that I have with my wife, and it would it would take something away from the beauty of that union. So yeah. I, I I'd love to know that I'm wanted, but I don't want to do it. So I'm trying to figure out what they actually want. Do you have any stats? And it's okay if you don't, but any stats to, to point to that at all? I think as a researcher, it's important to state when I don't know something, yeah. and I don't know what the answer is to this question. I really don't because I, I would always assume that again biologically there's this imperative to have sex as a man with as many women as possible but what is conducive to a to a good happy healthy lifestyle for the average man today is to settle down and have kids with one woman to be pair bonded to one woman it, it's it just it's just an easier easier setup yeah and I, I would say that you know the the guys like the andrew tates and the justin wallers they have the ability to have this this harem but again the average man doesn't want that he doesn't know what comes with it so he's better off living his life with with a, one woman that he's he's he has a, a very close relationship with mm -hmm. i believe there are a lot of guys out there just is just my opinion who like the idea of being the guy who could do things like you, you could sleep with a bunch of girls if you wanted to yeah. but really really treasure the union they have with the one woman right. and they know that if they do operate in that other paradigm that that woman is going to start to feel unsafe and it's going to threaten the sanctity of that union. I think there are a lot more guys than some of these men in the red pill <laughs> who are willing to acknowledge who would opt not yeah. to cheat. Um, yeah, I 100%. I, I will just, just to point on this, is I think that that is one of the things the red pill gets entirely wrong is that they they based all of their research, at least Roald Tomasi does, on biological imperatives. Everything is based in evolution psychology. It assumes that people cannot change that people cannot look at their environment and say that I want something different than what my biology tells me that I want. And, you know, the, the, the notion that that um, one desire is lost, is completely lost, is, is false. It's false. Mm -hmm. I also feel like one of the struggles I have is that oftentimes some of these guys will reduce men to like animals. Like I get it. Yes. I get your biological yes. tendencies. I absolutely do. Yes. And I'm on board with like acknowledging that men and women are different. Men and women have different biological tendencies. It's, it's different, but you also are above an animal and you have the, the, the process of decision-making and choice. So I find it actually very demeaning to men to reduce them to that animal who has to do this and has to, because yes. this, the, the one thing that's very admirable about some men are men who are very disciplined. You know, they're disciplined about, what food they put into their body. They're disciplined about their exercise. Those men are, are also can be very disciplined about the choices they make in their sex life, you know, in terms of Absolutely. I'm with one woman and I'm going to be loyal to her. So discipline is very admirable. And I, I think that to, to take that away from some of those guys and just say, oh, we're all animals. We yeah. have to act on our biological impulses. is quite demeaning, actually, in my it's, view to it's men. Silly. And let's let's unpack that a little bit, because I like the point that you mentioned there around discipline is that I think for a young man, uh, the final boss at the end of the game is 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 lost. Right. And, and to, to master oneself is to master one's sexual instinct right? Your, your sexual impulses. And you're telling me you can't not listen to your dick for about five minutes <laughs> and, and get on with a relationship. That's, that's difficult. I mean, I would never trust as a friend, a man who, who constantly goes after women and his, his only focus is on women, because if we have a task to do and you're just chasing tail the entire time, we're not going to get that task done. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to get to an, to a man like this, that is just solely fixated on having sex. Yeah. You haven't mastered that, that part of yourself. Tyler, do we want to check in with the chat? Do we have some to 
Tyler's adjusting his mic. Swing it around. <laughs> uh, yeah, so V asked, gave five bucks, said, men want young women. I feel like a 35-year-old dating an 18-year-old is morally wrong, although legally acceptable. Any thoughts on appropriate age gaps? Oh, yeah, Vincent. Age gaps. I have a big one in my marriage, so go ahead. Have fun. <laughs> I have no opinions on this. I mean, it is what it is, right? It, like, If you're an 18-year-old girl that's, that's um, wedded to a 35-year-old man, what's the problem? And mm-hmm. vice versa. What's the issue? I mean, there is no age gap. It's just dependent on, on compatibility and whether or not you actually love the person. Yeah, so I, I think the, the notion of an age gap is is um, is an interesting question, but I don't necessarily think relevant. And also it could be, honestly, with age gaps, I, I've had it both ways. I've been like younger by like a bunch of years, older by a bunch of years. It really depends on like where you at are at in your life, what you actually want and the maturity level. You'd be surprised. You can have like a guy who's 25, who's super mature, and then a guy who's 43 hanging out in the club, acting like he's still in college. I mean, it's it really right. is very individual based. So you got to just figure out who you're with. Are you with a mature person or not? Like, just figure that out. As long as they're of age and you're not doing anything nasty. Yes, Tyler. Javier said, ask if the man from Fifty Shades of Grey is what Vincent means by dark triad. If yes, then that explains why it was a bestseller during the age of feminism. Vincent. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. So the, the thing to keep in mind about the dark triad, guys, that's exactly what, what what is being characterized in that book, Fifty Shades of Grey, is, is that type of guy. That um, again is, is a psychopath, is is very handsome, is is obviously a narcissist, and and in, engage in, in this sort of behavior. So that that um, question is entirely hitting on the point. Vincent, can you uh, talk to me? I don't know if you have data or stats on this but one thing that comes up a lot is birth control pills um in terms of the conversation about the sexual marketplace what what do you think would happen if the birth control pill ceased to exist what what is that doing to the female promiscuity rate talk to me a little bit about that i I think the answer to that question is is pretty is pretty obvious is that if the birth control pill were to just go poof and go bye-bye that the the rate of of promiscuity would, would decrease significantly would decrease significantly. So, so t- it, I mean, the, the thing about the birth control pill is that it, it's 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 dangerous in the sense that it means sex without any sort of repercussions, and it introduces a very dangerous element into into sexual dynamics and, and human relationships. So, on that note, political the political left. I'm going to get political. You don't have to for a second, but the political left often talks about feminism and targets the female vote and makes the priorities of those discussions an abortion discussion, a birth control pill discussion, and essentially says folks on the right want to take away your contraceptives, they want to take away your right to abortion, and oftentimes is largely successful dealing with a particular segment of the female population, and that is unmarried women. So I just want to show you this stat. We just had a big election, uh, midterm election, and uh, Brad Wilcox put up some stats, and he said Based on the results of this midterm election, married men broke Republican by 20 points. So they're plus 20 for Republicans. Married women are plus 14 for Republicans. Unmarried men, even unmarried men, broke Republican by seven points. Unmarried women broke Democrat by 37 points. And if you look at the bottom, he opined on this, and he said the Republican Party is the party of the married and increasingly unmarried men. The Democratic Party is the party of unmarried women. This gender marriage story will rise in importance as a share, as the share of unmarrieds climbs. So what do you make of this in terms of just what we're seeing with the sexual marketplace, what we've been talking about with the pool of men that women are competing for kind of decreasing? 
What happens here um, in terms of Democrats, Republicans and future elections? Can you make any predictions for me, even if you yourself don't want to get political? No, not at all. I mean, I, I've long I've long believed that the, the next political or the, the two largest political groups or blocks, if you want to call it that, are men and women. So the, the, the political divide in the United States, Republican, Democrat, is also going to be a gender based divide where women on average for, vote for Democrats more than they do Republicans and vice versa for men voting for well, I think I got that mixed up, but women voting for Democrats, men voting for Republicans. And yes, I think it, it is also going to be mediated by marriage as well. And there's a lot of good research to indicate that when women are married, they're more inclined to go along with the prospective beliefs of their prospective political leanings of their husband um, than anyone else. So the, the women generally become more conservative when, when married, and, and so do men as well. Yeah. And what happens to society when women are increasingly discouraged from marrying. I mean, that that's what's happening to young women. They're being told that oftentimes they're being shamed if they want to become a housewife, if they say, you know, they come out of school and they say, you know what, I, I want to I want a family like I want to start my family now. They get shamed like, why don't you start your career or even if that's not a personal decision that they've made. Um, so it's interesting to see how this all unfolds. I want to ask you about another topic that comes up a lot, which is the hypersexualization of women on social media in particular, not just OnlyFans, which is an extreme, I think, version of that, but also Instagram. I mean, everywhere you look, you just see women kind of hypersexualizing themselves, oftentimes for cash. You had put a quote out, um, you say a recent study found that the proliferation of sexy selfies may be due in part to economic inequality as women compete to earn the attention of a shrinking pool of economically successful men. So, do you, I mean, talk a little bit about that. And if so, if that's true, what happens in 10 years? Like, where are we headed with that? Yeah. That, so that's the question I actually want to address is that it, not not the question about sexy, sexy selfies, but where we are in, in 20, 20, in 10, 20 years time. So it, it's I have this term that I haven't quite debuted, debuted yet, but I'll use it now. It's called sexual brinksmanship. So if we look back to the Cold War, brinksmanship simply refers to an upping of nuclear weaponry as you know, on both sides. Right. So I got a one nuclear bomb, you get two, so on and so forth. So sexual brinksmanship works along the lines where women are more likely to engage in more risky sexual behaviors in order to to attain a, um, a high value man. And so if if one woman does you know, gives, gives oral, oral sex, for example, and that sets a baseline that every other woman will follow. And then you have to constantly up the ante until you know you get to some sort of logical end here. So you're you're moving towards a more sexualized um, environment. So not just with the selfies, but also with the actual behaviors people are having or people are engaging in. Do you think there's any truth when we talk about like sex robots and all that crazy stuff? You know, we're looking at the metaverse. Zuckerberg's putting all his focus on the metaverse, which isn't going so well for him, actually. But what do you think about that? Like, is that potentially going to be the way of the future? I mean, we're looking at all this information. Men are afraid to approach women. They're, you know, deathly afraid of rejection. You see women getting extraordinarily picky when it comes to physical attractiveness. You see women more educated and making more money than men in large part. I mean, I feel like we're headed toward a divide that's going to be very hard to bridge. Are we looking, are we going to go the way of these guys like sitting in a room with a virtual reality glasses on and having sex robots and there's no need for this union and the breakdown of the family? I mean, my mind's just gone wild with this stuff. It's it. Yeah. Well, to answer the question, I'll give a bit of investment advice, Jed, uh, for you and your viewers. <laughs> I would say that if you if you come across a company that is able to successfully merge AI, so artificial intelligence, with sex robots, throw some money on it. Throw but that's, some money on so it. So that's deeply scary to me, though. 
I mean, that that is when I, when I say society and decay, that's it, right? If you yeah. if you yeah. manage to detach men and women to such an extent that you have the breakdown of the family union, you have all of that stuff going on, and now you have men in particular, because let's face it, it's this sex bots and all this stuff's going to be marketed toward men, sort of going down that road. I mean, what 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 happens to community? What happens? To, it's it's a country in, in decay. Well, see, that's the thing, though, is that the question we have to ask ourselves is if the sex robots are bad to begin with, because you have to you have to consider whether or not men being docile and and um, and hooked up to these sex robots is actually a positive thing or, or a negative thing. What if they're not? What if they realize that the current situation with which they live in, they can't have a sexual partner because one man has monopolized 10 women? What do they do then? So this is a question around violence, and it, it's actually what I what I want to discuss in the next paper is that what is the logical outcome of the of the the power law distribution in the sexual marketplace where a small number of men accumulate a vast majority of all the women, and I think the answer is pretty clear is that you're going to get a lot of violence in social people. <clears throat> so there's been a lot of research done on this, um, at least historically speaking. So I'll give an example of of China. So this was um, uh, 19th century China, and this was called the the Nian Rebellion of 1851 to 1863. And basically what had happened was that there's a, a massive famine that occurred in, in the first part of that century in China. And it, it resulted in a high level of um, female infanticide. And so the gender ratio was about 129 men to around 100 women. And because there is an excess of these men without a viable partner, so these were childless single men, they engaged in, in, in mass violence. You see examples in medieval Portugal as well, with with um, with with uh, again an imbalance of of um, of men uh, and women, and the Portuguese monarchy actually enacted a policy where all of these young men who were second born or poor were shipped overseas to engage in in colonialism and and expansionist warfare, so as to, to get them out of of Portugal, so they wouldn't actually engage in in social people. So what's the fix, though? I mean, obviously, we don't want it to go that way, right? We don't want massive violence and all that. I mean, how much of the fix can come from that Manosphere message of men, you know, getting in the gym and getting their shit together and being more competitive with each other so that you don't have a small minority of men monopolizing all of that female attention, but it's more spread out? Does that fix any of it? What is there a practical fix that we can do as a society to try to bring men and women back together and try to remedy some of these imbalances so that we don't wind up with um, a pathway toward violence? I don't think there is a solution. I'm sorry to say it, but I I've been looking into this very deeply. So th there's a lot of modern day examples of, of, of again, Huapage China and medieval, medieval Portugal. So in China, for example, the one child policy, which everyone knows about, mm -hmm. That actually resulted in a five to six percent increase in property and violent crime in in the 21st century within China. Um, you see examples in Mexico as well, where um, every reduction of one man per 100 women results in a 0.43 decrease in homicides or homicides per 100 per 1,000. So I think that this is a natural process that has to play itself out because, again, it it is hubristic to think that you could change something that has been occurring since the 1960s with the, the invention of the birth control pill and and sort of break up that logical chain of events so, such that you could change the way it, it would occur in the future. What I'm suggesting is that you would have a set of buffer zones or you'd be able to, to reduce the level of violence that comes or the, or the level of social upheaval as opposed to letting all of it happen. 
So when you say that process will inevitably inevitably play out, what is the next phase of that look like? What can we expect to see societally as like stage two of that happens? Right. So I'll, I'll cite a bit of research here. Is that so? Th- there is a set of anthropologists out of uh, NYU University or NY NYU New York University, and they did research predominantly on on terrorists. And what they found was that terrorists are overwhelmingly single men. Um, members of ISIS, when they originally were recruited, were single men, childless, as it were. And every it's something like every one percent increase in 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 um, men in in a population that is single men increases the rate of civil war by something like zero point two five percent. The rate of terrorist activity by zero point zero five terrorist acts, something along those lines. So what we're expecting, or at least what I'm expecting to see, is is a rise in in, in incel violence and and um, and violence um, uh, proliferated by by men or, or enacted by men into personal violence, robberies, homicides, that sort of thing. We're already seeing that in, in many of the oh, cities yeah. around the country. It's already happening. Wow, that's yeah. terrifying. Tyler, I want to check in with you. Do you have any super chat stuff that you want to get to? Yes. Uh, Freudian Slip gave $10 and said, has anyone noticed that these conversations always delve into what the top men want? The answer is to get average women to drop the ego and date average men. But nope, let's talk about what the top 5% want. Yeah, I mean, Vincent, that goes back to what I was saying about that pickiness, though. You know, oftentimes we'll show videos here and you'll have, you know, attractive women, but, you know, not supermodel status. And they will be saying, I'm a 10, A. They define themselves as a 10. And then they'll also be saying, we expect a guy to not only be a 10 physically, because they define themselves as a 10, which isn't always accurate, but to, you know, make over $100,000 a year and have a nice car and this, that, and the list is just a mile long. And they'll say, oh, I don't expect them to be rich, you know, just a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, as if that is somehow what the average guy is making. So I don't know how you fix you know, any of this without fixing the delusion that's happening truly. And I say this, you know, I am a female, but there is a delusion happening among young women now where they just won't acknowledge the basic reality of like, if you're, if you're a six and you're saying I'm a 10, you're only looking at the tens, the tens aren't looking at you. I mean, this is kind of the origin of where a lot of this problem happens. Yeah. There's a term for that. It's called a 69er. Sour. Or is it a 49? I forget. It's either 49 or 69. So 49ers are four that think she's a 10. Yeah. So to speak to the Freudian slip, I think that's who said it. We do address that. We do. But yeah. what can well, you the do? The thing is that this is, this is also a, a, a based in, in social media and things like Instagram where where attention, that is male attention, is is everywhere. So, you know, guys liking girls' Instagram pics, messaging, messaging them increases the ego of these of these girls right so of course your ego is higher therefore you think you want or you deserve more when when you deserve less probably gosh tyler not any more of those coming in no all right vincent i have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation um i could talk to you all day about your stats maybe we'll have you back to talk about deeper stats on crime but this has been absolutely fascinating for me um thank you so much for being with us today i'm gonna people should read by the way if you're interested in more of what we talked about today all the single ladies simping and the sexual marketplace and mate selection for modernity from vincent oh one more actually i apologize i do have to ask this one simping oh versus gentlemen. I just want to get to the crux of this. I have distinguished the two. Can you just distinguish those two and explain why one, 
I think you'll believe one is problematic and one is not based on the data of what women actually find appealing. This is important. Okay, this is important. So simping is Machiavellian. It, it is it is based around something we call the sneaky fucker syndrome, which is is it, so it's it's okay, the, the the technical term if one wants to use a technical technical term is kleptogamy. So you know it, it's derived from from Greek. It, it just means klepto just means to steal, and, and gamos just means to marriage. Uh, um, so when we talk about simping, it is exactly that. It is it is it is falsely portraying oneself as a nice guy, as a doormat, sycophantic. In order to receive sexual attention um, or even romantic attention from a woman, it's not genuine in any way, right? You're simply trying to to, to lure a woman into your bed by by being a nice guy, whereas being a gentleman is is genuine, right? It is opening doors, um, you know, paying for dinner, that sort of thing, because one generally loves a woman and one wants to to to, to play the role of a gentleman, to, to play that that um, that to engage in that masculine archetype. I would yeah, as I always tell the audience, there is a big difference between a gentleman and a doormat. <laughs> so ladies like a gentleman. They love that. They want you to care about them, all that stuff. They do not like a doormat. So the second you start looking like a doormat, they're going to be out the door. They're going to be distracted probably by some bad boy around the corner. Right. Just well, saying. The, 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 thing, the thing, though, about, about simping is that, again, it is a reflection of the current sexual marketplace. Right. Where, again, you have a, a small number of men that are very desired, and most of these men cannot compete. And therefore, they, they think to themselves, if I cannot compete, I have to, to uh, appeal to the feminine, which means being a nice guy or a sycophantic nice guy. Mm -hmm. I just feel like they can compete, though. Maybe I'm delusional in this moment, but I do feel like men can do more to compete. Like, I oftentimes will hear complaints from the average guy that say, well, I can't compete with the top, you know, percentage, and they're exclusively looking at income. And there's a lot of other things that go into that, you know, go come into play. I mean, are you exercising? Are you working out? Are you taking care of your body? Are you motivated? Are you ambitious? Are you a hard worker? I mean, there's a lot of things you can do to increase how valuable you are to women that, you know, falls outside the bracket of, you know, how much money you make in a year. Not to say that financial security is not important. It is, but that's not the be all and end all. There's a lots of other characteristics that can be worked on that could go into that. So I try to like instill that as much as possible. Absolutely. You're 100% right. It's like these, these guys that just fixate on height and think that simply because they're short, they'll never get late or they'll never be in a relationship. Well, if you think like that, then good for you. You deserve exactly what you get. Well, the point is, is that Height is an is an immutable characteristic. You're right. you're born short, you die short. But the amount of money you make is not. You know your education is not. Right. Your ability to you know your your actual stat or your um you know your your physical ability that is made through exercise and being in the gym is, is not an immutable characteristic. You can change all these things. Yeah. You don't have a defeatist mindset. Improve yourself. Yeah, that is the message of the show. There are a lot of things about your own personal life and personal being that you can control, that you can improve for the better. Those are the things you want to focus on. You want to be a self-empowered individual, be the best version of yourself that you can be, and uh, you'll be a winner. You just will. Vincent, thank you today. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Great conversation. Of course. Uh, audience, we will be back here on Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. I will be solo, so I don't know. You never know what I'll bring. Top G will be here as well. So we'll see you Monday, 1 p.m. Have a good weekend.